Hello and welcome to season three of Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer, one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a podcast for writers and readers and anyone who loves stories but maybe, just maybe, has a teensy bit of a morbid interest in how the sausage is made. If you've never listened before, welcome. This isn't a bad place to hop aboard and I'll explain a bit about what the show's about in a moment and what you can expect in the season to come. If you're a regular, welcome back. I'm pathetically, obsequiously grateful for your continued patronage, which is ludicrous, right? I make this stuff for free, for you. I lay these gilded, silk-wrapped gifts at your feet week in, week out, and you have the temerity, the cheek, the pure dangling sack to come here, a guest in my house, and make demands of me. Well... Listen up, Sonny Jim. You're not my real dad. I'll show you. With God as my witness, I'll show all of you who mocked me and watch your horrified expressions. My triumphant, blood-smeared physique reflected in your stupid, misshapen eyes. Just doing a bit there, distinguished friend. A little touch of creative writing, if you will. We all like creative writing and we like a bit of fun on this show. No stuffy grammarian eye chuckles up the wazoo and no mistake no heaven forfend I should make you regret your decision to listen today by being too much too early let's ease you in to the tim let's boil the frog a little bit let's get down to brass tacks today I'm going to do just a little taster a little amuse bouche a little intro which is short for introduction just to tease what's coming up in this year of our lord's 2019 I don't mean perfect Prophetically speaking, I'm not Nostradamus, he clarified unnecessarily. I just mean my plans for this, the podcast, and yes, my hopes and dreams for 2019 and hopefully some exciting stuff too, stuff you might not know about, stuff you might have a passing interest in, um, and also just to share what I'm up to. I'll also discuss my goals for this year, which makes me it does make me feel a bit vulnerable, um, partly because I, y- you might not be interested um, and also because I might not do them, or they might be awful goals. But hopefully, by my discussing what I'm up to, and I, I don't mean this disingenuously, <laughs> I'm quite sincere, hopefully it'll get you thinking about what you might like to achieve this year. Now, I have gone on record saying I've got a few issues with um, certain types of writing uh, New Year's resolutions, especially uh, the fatal one, Write More which I think is awful. I talked about that in a previous episode, which you can listen to, which came out this time last year. Um, but I'd like to get you certainly thinking about what you want. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any problem at all in thinking about what you'd want, what you'd like, what you care about, what's important to you. And making specific goals, certainly. And I hope talking about it and starting the discussion will get you thinking big and also small, because that smallness, that granularness is actually how we've broken down a whole bunch of blocks in the last year. And I just want to get you excited and positive and not in a cheap way, but in a way that actually is sustainable uh, after the initial rush. And I've got one very big announcement, actually, that I consider being all coy about, but I might as well just soft launch and float today because one, being vague is really annoying. And, and like the announcement is never, it's never as exciting as the person Im- imagines because it's generally an achievement or a reward that they've received. They've got something out. They've been commissioned to do something. They're being paid for something. So you're like, well, I'm pleased for you, but. So what? And, and and the second reason I, I want to share it today is because you're my friend, not in a way that obligates you to acknowledge me or invite me around to tea. Although, can I actually, I just want to get into this before I go any further. So if you've not listened before, you won't know that Death of a Thousand Cuts consists of three central planks content wise. One, 
are the first page critiques, which were how all this started. That's why the podcast is here, where you send me, not you personally, but a listener. I'm not the same listener every time. Multiple listeners. I'm not the same multiple listeners either, just listeners in general. Um, Well, listeners to this podcast send me the first page of their novel and I read it out on the show and I give feedback. Really simple format. Most of season one is just episodes in that format. Me looking at first page. And look, I know I didn't do enough of those episodes in season two. I know it. That is the most common piece of feedback I've received. Tim, please do more first page (laughs) critiques. Uh, I hear you loud and clear. Okay, thanks. It's really helpful to to know that because I don't know what you... I've got like the one sort of very crude measure, which is how many listens an episode get. But there's all sorts of things that can influence that. I don't know actually what episodes people love. And it's really useful to have found out that people enjoy those episodes and have found them useful. So that's how I plan to start this season. I'm going to just bosh out a few first page critiques this month. And and so that's it, really. There's nothing more on that to say, except... Um, they are a surprising amount of work, but I do enjoy doing them. It's not that I don't enjoy doing them. And it has been too long, I admit. So I'm ready to go back to basics. Let's let's look at some pros and and take it apart and make it better. So if you've got um, a first 250 words from your novel you'd like to submit for potential inclusion in a future episode, listen to me, my caveats three. Uh, that sort of worked, didn't it? Um, one, f- make sure you've listened to previous first page critiques, uh, especially from like season one's a good place to start. So you have an idea of what you're letting yourself in for. Um, it's not like it's not gotcha journalism. It's not like putting people in the stocks or anything. I love you deeply and you are of unimpeachable value as a human being. And with that in mind, uh, if you submit your work, I'll be honest about what I think can be improved in it. Um, But your writing isn't you. Criticisms of your writing aren't criticisms of you. But just I understand I get a bit stressed out when I get feedback on my writing if people don't like it. You know, I feel not necessarily resentful towards them, but sometimes I feel like disappointed or even gutted because, you know, you work hard on your stuff. Right. So if you don't feel up to it no need to put yourself through it yet you know the, the my door will as long as i'm doing the podcast my door will remain open for those submissions so you can just hang back but if you're ready i'd love to hear from you right to send your work to me via the um contact me link on the right side of my website timclairpoet.co.uk I, I, i'll put a link in the show notes the link is um on my website is is rubbish by the way brings up a little contact form the previous one broke i don't know anything about websites so i didn't really know how to fix it properly uh depending on when you listen to this um it might be fixed i might even have got a whole new website because it looks at the moment like it was constructed by hamsters as it slowly degraded over the years since it was first designed but in the meantime all i'm looking for you if you want to submit for me to do a first page critique is just the title of the piece of work your name and no more than 250 words in plain text. And by the way, I only read out like someone's first name that they submit. Um, so it won't, you know, the submission won't haunt you for the rest of your writing life. Um, but that, that's the key bit. No more than 250 words in plain text. Now, I don't want any explanations, caveats, apologies. I don't want something from six or 50 pages into your book. I want the first 250 words of your story or less. That's it. Three, please make it your absolute best work. It doesn't have to be, that's, and that's not like saying it has to be objectively amazing work. I don't expect it to be, but I would like it to be your personal 
the personal best you can do. So go over it, please. Revise it. Because it's, it's work for me to go through them. And I always put my... I always do my absolute best to critique it at the absolute best of my ability. Not holding back anything. Um, so in return, I guess your part of the contract is just, you know, revise it, work hard, do your best. Don't send me a draft that you dashed off last week that you're still buzzing over. You're really excited. Oh, gosh, I'm really excited to write this new book. But you haven't actually left a little time to cool and seen if you can improve. Ideally, it'll be something from a finished novel or an entire finished short story or novella or whatever. So it's you've done the whole thing and you've revised it and you know what the ending is, right? I want your A-game, please, is what I'm saying. I realise that's scary uh, and, and a lot of work as well because, you know, if there are things wrong with your absolute best work, then eek, right? Well, not really. Here's a little semi-secret. Most authors, most published authors, can't write a book on their own. They send stuff to their writing group, their agent, their editor, beta readers. And, and it is trash, a lot of it. Right, it's bad. It's dog shit. It's like someone did a crayon drawing of a spider with the lights off. My work without input from others, without input from Joe, my editor, and from Sophie, my agent. It's really shit. It is log. And I've got friends who I bombard with different drafts of my work and say, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Before it even gets to my agent and editor, I... like. My my early drafts are I hate them. They're shit, and that, that doesn't make me a bad person for being bad at writing at that level. It doesn't mean I can't take rapturous pleasure in the creation of my first drafts. Right, it can be a really enjoyable process of discovery and creation and making shit up. But at some point, I need to usher in the accountants, veins bulging in their scalps as they survey the horrendous mess I've made, and ask them to save my business from collapse. I say, what? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Does any of this make sense? There's no shame in asking someone to warn you if you've got spinach in your teeth, or Weetabix down your shirt, or assless chaps and a donkey tail butt plug. I mean, look, editing's always a little bit conservative by nature you know it always punishes standard deviations from the mean that's you know there's a paradigm that's been brought to the table i am not the final arbiter of good taste he clarified unnecessarily and it's really important to me that i don't set myself up on this podcast as some kind of thothian judge of literary souls and I'm, you may that may sound arrogant, but I now know from getting all the emails that a lot of people do that my words do carry some weight, um, and I just want to be careful around that one because I'm just I'm just a fucking rando, Marlon Rando hitting, sitting here with <laughs> with a mic. That's it. That's my only kind of like claim to authority on this. So one, just don't. Don't take my word as as um, ex cathedra pronouncements from the um, from the seat of God, but also like just because like the whole reason I made my writing course the Couch to Eight K writing bootcamp more on that in a moment was because like I was getting emails from people who listened to the show saying oh hey Tim I've learned so much from your first page critiques really love them they're really funny and uh, now whenever I sit down to write I've got your voice in my head. It's really difficult to write anything. Smiley emoji, laugh crying emoji, crying emoji. And I was like, especially as the as, especially as the pattern emerged of getting more and more of these emails, I was like, that's horrifying. 
I'm spreading my own sickness, which is this hyper-competent creative executive function that points out flaws and guards against mistakes and ultimately discovers it can best do that by stopping me from doing any writing at all. It's like a horrible AI that decides the best way to protect humanity is to confine them to their homes and feed them swill through tubes. So, like, last year, 2018 was all about my creating an antidote to what I was seeing in listeners. <laughs> the, the kind of horrible pathology that I was spreading through listeners of the show, where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making you as bad as me and I'm giving you the problems that I have as a writer. I wanted to create something to actually get you writing. And this brings us back to the second plank of the show. Remember, we, we I did a first plank, second plank of the show, creative writing exercises. How many conversational browser windows have I got open now? Anyway, billions. So I spent the last year healing my relationship with creative writing. That is a sentence that I would have felt far too wanky to uh, say. But 18 months ago, you know, like stuff like that, I was very snooty about, very suspicious of, because I just thought it was part of the whole industry around selling writer as an identity and author as a lifestyle and just stuff that I felt was a maybe exploitative and maybe I still feel that there are elements of the uh, writing lifestyle industry that that do perpetuate some of those problems but but also I think you know what I and I've said this before on the show I won't keep like self-flagellating because it gets tedious but I do think there was a there was an element of like unconscious misogyny in there because it tended to be associated with like some of the writing therapy movements and and things that I feel like were more traditionally like female uh, writing concerns which were like how does it make you feel are you all right you know, do you want to get in touch with your emotions? And I was like, fuck you. This is about the nuts and bolts. It's about grammar. It's about things I can, things I can break and things I can build. And and, and I, I think I had a natural suspicion of anything touchy-feely because I was emotionally constipated and probably a bit unconsciously sexist. And it, it has taken some un, unpicking of those scenes to get to somewhere where I can actually have a slightly more balanced view of the thing and go, of course it matters how you feel. Of course it matters whether you're making yourself fucking miserable every time you write. And honestly, like last year I had a really, well, not last year, but in the years leading up to 2018, I had been having a real, ever since like 2014, I guess when I started, I've been having a really tough experience writing my second novel, The Ice House, which comes out in May. I felt so much pressure, especially after the honours came out in April of 2015. And along the way, we had some big family bereavements and my daughter was born. And, 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 and you know, the honours coming out was, I don't mean to say it's like on par with any of those things, but it was huge in its own way because it was the dream I've had ever since I was five, to to be a writer, to write a story and have it in a book that people would read and go, and the story would appear in their heads. You know, that, that and, you know, there's that bit at the end of, at the end of Charlie, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where Gene Wilder turns to Charlie and says, but Charlie, 
don't forget to what happened to the boy who suddenly got everything he'd always wanted. And he says that the boy lived ha happily ever after, but in, in actual fact, I think the boy would have realised that uh, the goalposts have moved and actually he'd been using those um, ambitions as a, a way of forestalling, dealing with his own deep unhappiness and actually when he got what he wanted he'd realised that those things that he wanted he kind of decided on unconsciously as a child and um, they weren't really what he wanted at all and he spent years chasing after this kind of mirage and without that thing left to chase he was completely alone in the void of existence and the boy became terrified and panicky and um, ultimately turned to crack. That he did that didn't, didn't he? Didn't doesn't Gene Wilder wouldn't say say that. If he did say that, he'd say it in a very witty, slightly acerbic way that would make you like him or want him to like you. But like, it was it was it was a it was it's it can be a trauma in its own way to have success. I I I I know it's like the least sympathetic problem to have in the world, but. That coupled with everything else, you know, like becoming a dad, which is the most amazing thing in the world. But as anyone who's been a parent and including you, if you're a parent, will know, it's also its own kind of trauma. Your life, you, your life changes, your relationship to everyone changes. And um, and I fell apart. Some days I was prostrate with panic attacks, just pinned to the floor, screaming. I engaged in so much avoidance behavior because I didn't know how I was going to finish my book. I was scared. I felt like a fraud, a failure. And the dumb thing is about working on the Ice House, there was a point before the honours came out, I was flying. I was writing like 12,000 words a week, sometimes 14,000. I was creating. I was loving it. It was just flowing out of me. And not all perfect, but, you know, actually most of the stuff I wrote back then when it was coming out quickly made it into the final draft. You know, you know I edited the the bits but more or less the the basis of it the basics of it they they made it in but i got what they call in engulf the yips i started doubting myself i got these crushing doubts and i obsessively rewrote scenes i replotted i added and removed characters and i avoided and procrastinated oh my god did i avoid it I, I, because it was making me feel inadequate and and i'm miserable Maybe you've had some of these feelings in a lesser form, maybe in a greater form. I don't know. You know what? I think one of the most validating, beautiful things last year, and this is going to sound like schadenfreude and I don't mean it to, but was, was speaking to so many authors and discovering I'm, I'm not alone and I haven't been alone in feeling these things because I may suffer from a bit of the old self-loathing. But when I hear people I usually respect and admire and like and love describing the same thing that I felt, I'm like, oh, fuck. Maybe I'm not the dickhead. Or maybe we're all dickheads. And, and that's okay. It doesn't make us unworthy of love. So creating the boot camp, making those exercises, forcing myself to think, okay, you're talking to someone who's facing the exact same problem as you, Tim. What advice do you give them? What should they do? How do you help them? I had to explain to myself my own fundamental love of story, of creation. I had to tell myself back the story of why anyone would want to be a writer why I'd want to be a writer and at the same time 
we come to plank three of the show, the three grand planks of Death of a Thousand Cuts. I guess the fourth would be me. The plank was in me all along. So their first page critiques, creative writing exercises, and there's the third plank, chats with authors, with people just like you. They've got the same tools. Their life situations may be more or less conducive to creative writing than yours, but nonetheless, it's the same blank page we all write on, the great void of life in which we miraculously create. It's a joy and a privilege to be able to do what we do. And, and I was speaking to these people, my colleagues, my brothers and sisters and siblings, and saying, like Wordsworth to the leech gather upon the lonely moor, come tell me how you live. When I listen back to those chats, there's this subtext pulsing underneath all the questions I ask, this grand heartbeat. Help me. Help me, it says. And, and, and they did. Bless them. They did. And they have. You know, all those chats, and they're all in the archive. If you want to go listen, I'm not just saying it to bump up the numbers. I genuinely think there's so much in there. If you listen with an open mind, be a little bit genre agnostic. Uh, I just think they've made me feel connected for the first time to a community, to the writing community. And I've also chatted to social psychologists and neuroscientists, as you may have heard, and they've said, look, here's the data. Here's how you can write to process trauma and help your body better resist disease and repair tissue damage. Here's the data to support that. Here is what you've been doing in an attempt to manage your moods. And here's why it doesn't work. And here's what does. Here's some studies on how you can start a practice that rewires your brain to optimise for writing and creativity and pleasurable, rewarding effort. And here's how your stories are firing off neurotransmitters in an audience, making them stressed so they pay attention and alert through cortisol, then trusting and bonded to these imaginary characters through the stimulation of oxytocin, effects that last beyond the end of the story. So the experience of your fictional world, the adventures that your characters go on in an entirely imaginary fictionscape make tangible changes to the real world we live in and the people in it. People give more to charity, they're more empathetic, empirically, empirically so. They experience sustained improvements in mood. That's wild to me. Like, and we like some of this stuff, you know, we may have had a sense of intuitively, but to see, like, to just be able to point to the studies and go, look, here's the facts of this. Right. And while all this was going on, I, I sold my next novel, the novel I worked so hard on, The Ice House. It's now, you know, I've sold it to a publisher. I've written 50,000 words of another book and also 10,000 words a piece on two other novels I'm, I'm still really excited about. I enjoy writing again. I wake up excited to write. I, I I stack it massively when I get to the computer. I write duff sentences, bad paragraphs, ill-conceived entire stories, dreadful dialogue, probably offensive bits. I, I, I've not really improved my hit rate in writing or my competence, right? I've not improved my saleability. I still write weird shit that is almost certainly never going to make the bestseller list because it's from my weird twisty little heart but volume joy you bet your ass donkey tail butt plug and all you'll be you'll be kicked out the casino but it'll be worth it 
It's been great what's happened to me this past year in terms of what I've learned from doing this podcast. This is why I do it. Look, I want to continue working with you, not because I'm altruistic or nice. I'm not. I'm deeply insecure, selfish and full of the most venal and debased cravings imaginable. Just like you, you sleazy fucker. But doing this, making this podcast, exploring these things, scratching these itches, these things have been massively useful to me. I cannot tell you what a difference it's made. And and, and the new normal is just my new normal. It's so crazy from the emails I get every week. And I'm not banging on about this to try and make you think, oh, Tim, you know, lots of people are listening to the podcast. You're already here. I don't have to impress you. I can be myself, right? But it is, it is, it is wild to me. Like, that's been another thing. Suddenly becoming a person who gets written to all the time, who gets emails from listeners every single day of the year. It's bananas. And I get these genuinely lovely progress reports from you, from writers all over the world working through the Couch to 80k boot camp or maybe they've been listening to an interview and they want then something occurred to them uh, something's been helpful to them something I've said in one of my my talks and it's I mean seriously you know it's every day I'm sure to some very popular authors but to me just a just just a dude right it is just the best thing it's crazy how I can just be I can just be eating some cereal and my phone goes and I read a really sincere email from someone for whom something I've said is, or something another author on the show said that's made a difference and has made them a little bit happier, has got them through a little bit of a tricky time in their life or has helped them push forward with a story, got them through a block. I'm, I'm not just saying it like it has been the best thing and I've got to be careful not to let it go to my head, quite frankly. Like I say, I am a, uh, a, a ethically weak human being and otherwise... If I'm not careful, I really will end up leading a cult out into a desert compound where we do edits on the Bible until it's a Dragon Ball Z fanfic and subsist entirely on boiled eggs. But 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 from the emails I get and from the fact that people are downloading and listening over a quarter of a million downloads in 2018, that is massive. That is much more than I ever expected. I know it's modest by podcast terms, but considering this is a very niche subject that we deal with, I'm I'm just so thrilled. Am I going on this journey, if that's not too grand, asking these questions, seeking the wisdom of my peers and reflecting on the stuff myself? I hope it's been useful to you as well. So this year, 2019, here are my plans for me and season three of the podcast. First off, as I said, Let's do some first page critiques. They're a, they're a nice baseline to give us a shared vocabulary. They can just brush up and refresh refresh the skills because we could all do with practicing that side of us and take us back to fundamentals to remind us that alongside the wild, sexy abandon of the first draft, there's also the pleasurable, challenging rock climb of free of redrafting with its with its problems and puzzles and and gentle absorbing craft we can slowly build strength in that way so send me your work please please go on the website and send me your work give me something to work with let's go two after recording today's episode i'm going to be hitting up this big list of candidates for guests on the show and emailing them all I'm going to be proper systematic. I'm making an Excel spreadsheet and everything so I can see who hasn't replied. Mostly 
authors you guys have got in touch and given me loads of names of people you'd like me to get in touch i suspect most of them will say no but i'd like to at least give them an opportunity to say no rather than just sort of sending out a little sort of psychic bat signal and hoping that they'll contact me um so uh, as, as well as the authors i get in touch with um going to be contacting i guess a few agents editors and publicists i'm really interested in speaking to different people in the publishing industry although like my primary focus is always going to be on stories i love story and anyone who engages in stories where i i think our best work can be done it's it's not irrelevant to me that we talk about the industry side as well you know where the rubber meets the road also i'm going to be chasing up a few neuroscientists researchers and psychologists too because we did three episodes last year of that i never expected to do i just suddenly had a thought should we get in touch with some people from across the floor reach out and get some people in from the sciences because i feel like as enthusiastic end users of the human brain seeing the ways that psychology and creativity and stories intersect is really really handy actually and it can give us some insights we wouldn't necessarily get from authors kind of like talking about it from their experience of being uh working the coalface and coming at various creative and compositional writing problems from a neuropsychological perspective well well not the whole story i'm not pretending that uh and, and look I, perhaps you know i i, I want to be careful because i know like i know neuroscience is a is the teensiest bit zeitgeisty and i think you know you, you, there's always a danger that you're kind of chasing the latest fad don't think that i don't see it as having a sort of being part of a greater whole but i think it can give us some fresh insights i mean isn't that what creativity is all, all about right looking at things from a new angle it's not particularly insightful to go to an author and say hey author do you know anything about authoring so i'm interested in like looking at these at the same thing from a variety of different positions to seeing if that can give us a a more perfect understanding of what we're looking at and and and, and just to be clear like and sometimes it's just affirming stuff that you sort of intuitively know but it but it makes it clear and maybe just tidies up and, and maybe just clarifies things a bit but also that fear of like not being too zeitgeisty is why i'm going to actual professionals like in universities with labs rather than gurus with with books to flog these are actual you know sometimes these, <laughs> these are actual professionals with sometimes with syringes and centrifuges and liquid nitrogen people who are not only you know qualified to parse other people's research and studies but who have conducted and published peer-reviewed studies themselves and it's it's no it's no exaggeration to say the three people i've had on the show so far are leaders in their fields and i'm i'm baffled that they agreed to be on the show uh and also thrilled uh just it's just important to me that i'm not donning the faddish mantle of neuroscience to say a bunch of uninformed rubbish that doesn't really help you or reskin something you already know in psychobabble and it's just we got these people to give these tentative dispatches from the very forefront of modern science, sometimes quoting studies that had been out less than a month. That's so fucking exciting to me. And I have loads of writers I want to speak to. Some famous, some uh, not so famous, but I just love their work or I'm just interested in what they're doing, you know. And I'd like to get some previous guests back on to maybe do a little two-hander 
critiquing your first pages. We did that in the first season. I really enjoyed it. Another perspective is, is, is so useful. And I just want an excuse to get some of the people I've had on already back on again because I like them. Thirdly, okay, here's the soft announcement I kind of teased early on, the thing I wasn't going to be coy about. I'll do a proper announcement of this later in the year, like an episode that goes, here it is, um, when more shit is done on it. But just let's bury it here now. So if you've switched off already because of my waffling, you're going to miss it. The Arts Council of England have uh, offered me funding to create a Couch to k writing course Mark II. That is the announcement. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like the one I've done already, but bigger. I mean, like literally, I'm planning it to be more than double the length of the original one. Um, I'm going to take all the feedback I've got from the literally thousands of people who've done the first one uh, and some stuff I've learned, some stuff I've got from speaking to aforementioned social scientists and neuroscientists and um, what I feel it could use more of and maybe looking also for ways to manage that transition from like the exercises to working through an actual novel so more comprehensive uh, support for the actual business of writing the entire novel and maybe some stuff on redrafting or editing who knows uh definitely some more definitely a like definitely just like a metric fuck ton of new ep uh, exercises just fun shit just stuff to get writing to just fill up notebooks and just enjoy just enjoy writing with these little micro transactions that get your brain working. I'm dead excited about doing it. Also a little scared because I know people now have expectations of me. You may ask, why bother making this, Tim? Like, it already exists. You're just, aren't you just retreading old territory? And that is true. Uh, but there's two reasons why I'm redoing it. One, because I've been offered some support this time, so I will, might, I'll be able to do it better. Um, the last one I kind of did on the fly. I just kind of sat down and did it in a little bit of spare time. Um, but I also want to see if I can improve on it and produce more content and create something that will last years and hopefully help thousands of people work on their writing, you know, build their creative confidence. Just just do the thing, you know. I, I, I don't believe that in my first shot at making a creative writing course, I just cracked it and, I'm, I, and it's unimprovable. I mean, I, I could also make it worse, right? I could do a version that just has none of the magic of the first one because it does feel a little bit like when you do something like that that you've never done before and people like it, it does feel a bit like you kind of bottled lightning because you've not done anything like it before. So any success is crazy to you. But I don't feel like that's a reason for me to not have another go. I could just sort of retire them. But I'd, I'd try, like to try and improve. And of course, I'll learn stuff from doing this. But I, it'll go over some of the territory of the previous version. But I hope there'll be enough in there uh, that if you have graduated from the from the boot, the first boot camp, you'd still enjoy working through it. There'd still be enough that's new, enough that di different. And of course, I'm going to like all the episodes will be recorded new. I'm not just going to drop in old ones. It's going to be more fundamentally different than that. But but still starting off actually with that basis of 10 minute exercises, daily exercises. But I hope you'd still find stuff in it that was good for you and you'd still enjoy working through it. I should say at this point, crucially, It'll all be available for free. 
This isn't like a premium course that I'm suddenly charging for. It's going to be free to stream, free to download, and with transcripts now of every episode. So if you're hard of hearing, or if you just find text more comfortable, or you want to print out the exercises and go and do them with a creative writing group, if you find my voice annoying, you can do it that way. There are just too many financial barriers in place in the creative writing world for anyone who doesn't have scads of money for basically just independently wealthy middle class people. I'm not saying that tutors shouldn't be paid, just that at the moment there's this shrinking middle class in this fenced off playground and lots of people get very defensive if you say that out loud, especially the writers who rely on teaching those courses to pay their bills. And I understand, right? It's difficult, right? I'm not I'm not having a go, but it is shit. It's shit and it is lazy and we can do better. So for what it's worth, and I'm not saying I'm the kind of like panacea to cure all the ills of the way that creative writing works at the moment, but I'm I'm, I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is a little bit and create a high quality professional resource. Not just something I did in my spare time, but something I've really worked on to hopefully make that available for free that can take anyone who wants to use it through an important stage of their creative journey because I think they deserve high quality resources not just whatever's left over and the the best people you know people who've got the most money just get access to the best teachers and by the way I don't think that's true I don't think it's true that paying a lot of money is going to necessarily get you I don't think people I don't think people are given the information to know whether a a, a creative writer. I'm not going to get into a rant now about paid creative writing courses and which ones I think are good or not but it's a big industry at the moment it's making a lot of money out of people I'm here to fucking rip the bottom out of it and say you don't need to pay anything fuck those guys have a shitload of content for free forever on me it, it's gonna have Tim Clare all over it I'm afraid like that's the that's the Faust that's the dark bargain. The Faust impact is that it is very heavy on the Tim Clare flavouring, but but it won't cost you anything except your time and um, maybe some of your joy. No, it will make you happier. Hopefully, we don't know. I don't want to speak to you anyway. I'm not sure exactly when in this year the new version of the course will drop. Certainly not first quarter I'm self-aware enough to know that isn't going to happen if it, unless it was complete shit but I'll be starting work on it this month and I'm really looking forward to it uh if you've got any requests or dire warnings <laughs> by all means get in touch with me and drop me a line and let me know but you know I'll definitely let you know on this I'll let you know when it's going to be coming out and and then we can and we can just do it and we can share it and you know, people can write books and we can make writing and the joy of writing more accessible to more people because you fucking deserve it. And it shouldn't be this niche pursuit, especially as like in itself, writing requires so little. Uh, I think it's high time we made creative writing 
high quality creative writing pedagogy available to everyone. And the person to bring that to the world is me. So that's that in terms of Death of a Thousand Cuts, in terms of the podcast. Uh, mostly onto personal goals now. And I'm just sharing this because, well, one, like it helps me to share what I'm doing. I find just talking to you therapeutic. So I've said that before, but you know, I, I, I find it therapeutic to talk to you. So that's one. B, um, talking about it creates accountability. I don't know if that actually helps with motivation. I see some conflicting research on the subject of sharing your goals, but I want to give it a go. And I, 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 because a lot of you have got in touch to say my being honest and open about my writing life and my mental health, such as it is, has been helpful to you. I'm not the only person in podcast land to do this, of course, but I hope that by giving you another perspective on being a professional writer, I can just sort of round out your understanding. Mostly the um, truly audio diary entries of the show get tagged with writing ramble, if you've not listened before, and those are just unscripted me chatting about whatever's on my mind that day, um, but they are easy to avoid if you're not into that there will be writing rambles this season, but be, if, you don't, if you're not into those things, um, they're flagged up right at the beginning, so you won't stumble into them and you can stick to the more kind of like crunchy, uh, educate stuff if, or the author chats, if that's what you prefer. Um, please do use the parts of the show that you find helpful and, and, and sack off all the others. I'm trying to give you like an eclectic experience where just a grab bag of different things and you find the ones that are useful to you and uh, leave behind all the others without guilt. Oh, and reason bullet point why I'm sharing this is because, of course, I'm hoping that you'll help me with some of these goals, perhaps out of the goodness of your heart, perhaps out of enlightened self-interest. Seriously, I, I don't mean this in a sort of the secret cosmic ordering way, but every time I've said publicly... Hey folks, this is what I'm up to. This is what I need to do to do the thing that I'd really love to do. So many people move in ways large and small to help me with that. Doesn't mean I can demand frantic surfs construct giant ice sculptures of my visage that melt faster than they can carve them. I just think, and this has proven particularly true when it comes to getting guests on the podcast, if you ask people to sort of guess your needs in any situation rather than doing them the favour of just explicitly asking, oh, hey, specific person X, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? Turns out that being specific and open about your needs is a lot more effective than just vaguely subtweeting, uh, would anyone like to be a guest on my show? And hoping that your first picks drop you a line. Whenever I've reached out and been specific about the kind of help I want, um, people have helped me out because humans are kind of wonderful. So... I, I'm not meaning to that to sound like a kind of manipulative kind of piece of moralising. I'm I'm just saying that's why I, that's the final reason why I'm talking about it. So first off, my aforementioned next novel, The Ice House, is coming out in on May the second. It's about an old lady coming out of retirement to pull one last job, and also about a 400-year-old pathologist field medic battle nun trapped in the body of a 10-year-old girl who wants to kill God. I think you will like it. It's certainly not like anything that already exists, and I'm very, very at peace with that. And an act of what feels like, in retrospect, breathtaking pre-festive hubris, I announced last season that I wanted The House to be a UK bestseller in its first week. 
not a bestseller in some obscure Amazon subcategory like books, fiction, fantasy, British fantasy, fantasy written by Hirsute Dads, stories featuring a giant beetle with a sniper rifle. I meant the actual official UK Sunday Times bestselling hardbacks list because that's totally reasonable, right? Piece of simple maths, right? This this show, Death of a Thousand Cuts, gets an average of 6,000 downloads a week at the moment. To enter the top 10, I think it is, best-selling hardbacks in the UK on any given week outside the run-up to Christmas, where celebrity autobiographies bump the numbers up vastly, you need about 1,500 sales to be reasonably sure of getting onto that list. So... I'm thinking, right, and I've been thinking, I said this, you know, at the end of last season, if one in four of you pre-order a copy of my book, the same proportion, incidentally, that are mentally ill, then jobs are good, right? Now, listening back to the episodes <laughs> last season where I introduced this idea, I sound less like a kind of capering Pied Piper leading you all on a wondrous odyssey into the Magic Mountain and more like Gil out The Simpsons. <laughs> Things are looking up for old Tim. That's five pre-orders. Gee whiz. We're one third of a percent towards our goal. You know, our, our goal. Our goal. Making me a nationally successful author. Right, gang? There's an almost unbearable pathos to those episodes. In fact, listening back, I was, to be fair, and I think it's okay for me to say this now, feeling rather vulnerable. My financial situation was shaky, as it is most of the time but over the past 18 months it's been particularly difficult what with a new life in the world that I'm supposed to support so there's this manic edge to proceedings what I thought was me just being open with you guys I actually sound like Tim are you okay uh now I've had a bit of support from the um Royal Society of Literature since then which is going to help me through uh the next couple of months until the next bit of money from my book uh, comes to me. Uh, I've got this course to write now for the first time in like a year and a half. I'm now not worrying about how I'm going to pay next month's mortgage or feed my daughter. When I made this declaration that I was going to try and get the Ice House into the bestseller list, I think I was, on reflection, struggling emotionally. I actually recorded a whole episode last year at the end of last year where I, where I broke down crying and, and then I deleted it the next day and I think that was a good move on my part. I want to be honest about that because especially for the sake of you that manage mental illness in one respect or another there's no shame in feeling bad you're whole and complete and glorious but also I can just tell you that that happened rather than asking you to manage my feelings on my behalf like boundaries are okay too and I'm okay now like it it kind of my feelings about this kind of came to a head over Christmas suddenly after what seemed like forever of grinding worry about bills just before we broke for Christmas like the day before we went on holiday I got this news that I was going to get a little bit of money just to see me through it was like this temporary reprieve and for the first time in like a year and a half, I could like relax. I wasn't thinking, how am I going to pay the, the mortgage next month? And 
I just hit this massive patch of depression. For the first time in years, I don't really get depression. I have anxiety, but I hit this patch of feeling really low for the first time in years. And with that, of course, came anxiety, comorbid conditions. And it was kind of like, you know how you get a cold on the day you finish your last exam? My body just went, now I can fall apart, right? And, and my family were really understanding and accommodating and tolerant. And Suki, my daughter, is just the greatest, most magical person in the world. She's been learning to tell stories herself and she just creates with such openness and appetite. It is the juice. It is so good. She's like such a teacher to me. I, I know that sounds like a cliche. You know, I know I might be being saccharine and twee, but fuck you. I That's how I feel. And I just, you know, don't be too cool to indulge that childlike joy in creation because it's gonna fucking change your life so christmas was a bit rough then after that we went um and uh had a little visit down south and i I watched my wife and suki lay flowers on my father-in-law's grave I'm, i'm still not quite sure how to talk to suki about death and and life and and what it means to be human i don't think we're quite there yet conceptually but Seeing her there, standing in the wet grass with a stuffed dog, looking quietly at this grave, I just really cried for the first time in what seems like ages. Just deep, hearty crying. And it was it was a real relief. No, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like desperate panicked crying. It was just that, you know, the good, you know that you've had a good cry in your life, right? A good cry. Just to be like, I'm sad. This is sad. Sh- shit, we've been through a lot. And now it's safe to cry the world won't fall apart if I cry and since then I've been feeling much better but I still want you to order my book right don't think that because I've reached an emotional resolution you're off the hook no I still want to go for it you know I I, I know you may be thinking Tim don't do this to yourself man you want to pull me back from the brink Tim you're too fragile the world was not made for one as innocent and beautiful as you you'll be shredded to pieces in the intake fan of reality thank you lee hodgson for pre-ordering and letting me know thank you alex wait thank you bobby pridgen who pre-ordered two one for him and one presumably for a dear and lucky friend i so so appreciate your support and, and bobby thank you for your kind messages mr b's emporium a very cool independent bookshop based in bath in england have said they've had about 15 pre-orders so far i know some people have pre-ordered uh, via wordery as well i dare say some of you pre-ordered through amazon that's totally fine look i've said i'll go into mr b's emporium they're an indie bookshop and sign any pre-orders they have before they all get sent out and if they get 100 pre-orders before the beginning of may i will write a little bonus material to go with each one so by my rough reckoning my very rough reckoning i reckon i know about 30 pre-orders so far for the ice house which is two percent of a target of 1,500, which is which is a long way to go, right? I have to replicate that. Let's do some quick maths here. Two times 50. I have to replicate that 50 times. Actually, that's, I mean, this is hubris, Tim. I hear you scream. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Did you know... TLC nicked those lines from Paul McCartney on his album Paul McCartney 2 from his track Waterfalls, except he sings, don't go jumping waterfalls, please stick to the lake, which makes more sense if you think about it. Why would you chase a waterfall? They're static, unless, of course, 
You include erosion over centuries, in which case I concede there is a small retreat. Apparently, Paul McCartney was was pretty miffed. He, he thought Waterfalls should have been a classic. It's his track that he felt deserved to be a hit and wasn't. Um, and he felt a little bit miffed when TLC came out with their version. And, and who can blame him? He'd written a timely and frankly unprecedented fable about riparian health and safety and was presumably waiting for those government public service video royalties to come rolling in when Lisa Left Eye Lopez came along and muddied the already churning and potentially fatal waters with a surreal warning that sounds like part of a checklist for someone on day release. Just above, don't insert your penis into a pub quiz machine and don't throw coins into the sea screaming at the dolphins to, quote, buy some fucking clothes, end quote. Though, in fairness to TLC, McCartney's original has a dreadful me melody. It's an absolute dirge. Oh, it's horrible while their version slaps. However, I know Paul McCartney's like later work not considered his best, but on McCartney too, the track Temporary Secretary is really good. I love it. It's weird. It's great. You've got to listen to it. But I tell you uh, what, in I tell you what, in no way borrows from a member of short-lived skiffle outfit the Quarrymen, Paul McCartney's late oeuvre, my new book. I realise pre-ordering a book is a deeply alien concept to most, most of us. I hardly, I've hardly ever done it before last year. Like, it's not something that you do, right? Why would you pre-order a book? It'll be in the shop. It's not going to run out. So uh, my challenge here is twofold, right? I'm, I'm trying to get you to buy my shit, which, you know, you might quite reasonably be resistant to already, and get you to do so in a way that is outside your ingrained patterns of capitalist consumption. But I fundamentally believe this is possible. You might not... I don't know why I did that noise then. I'm slowly turning, I'm slowly turning into a cryptid. Listen, the Honours has not done badly so far. It's in its third printing. So what I'm proposing might not be so ludicrously bombastic as it sounds. But what I'm asking of you, dear listener, and I'm not going to go... I know I said last season I'm not going to go on about it every episode. I'm really not going to go on it about it every episode. I'm going to record at some point a like, little two-minute pitch for the, for the Ice House. I'm not going to... I'm just doing this in the first episode and then I'm going to leave it be and... I'll just mention it briefly in the intro, but I'm not going to keep going on about it to this level. So in, in case you're losing slowly the will to live. But what I'm asking of you is this. If you haven't already, please click one of the links in the show notes to today's episode or go on my website, timclairpoet.co.uk and click one of the links there. Or just Google Tim Clare, the Ice House, or Google the number of your local bookshop and give them a ring once this episode is over. Um, my experience with like, bookshops are really nice and it's surprisingly easy to pre-order something. You kind of think you're going to be called out and they just go, yeah, that's fine. Um, and pre-order yourself a copy of The Ice House. If you like what I'm saying I'm going to be doing this year, if you like what I'm putting into the world, if you want to support me putting out free, good content to help writers, regardless of whatever they can afford, you know, free content that's available to everyone without paywalls. This year, there's going to be weekly episodes of this podcast. I'm going to be putting out a new writing course. There'll be my reading, weekly writing workout. More on that in a sec. All that stuff I'm putting out for free for everyone. If you like that and you think that's good and you want to help me to continue doing that, please pull the trigger and just reserve a copy of the ice house 
I think you're going to like the book as well. I should say you're going to get something out of this. I'm not just asking you for money for no reason. I think you're going to love the book, but I'm asking you to do it in a very special way because it helps me. Like every single time someone does that, does a pre-order, the pre-sale uh, will register at my publishers, Canongate, and they'll be like, oh, seems, I mean, they, I don't, they don't like have a, like a back computer or something that will start like going pre-sale, but almost, right? And they'll be like, oh, seems to be a bit of interest in Tim's new book. And booksellers get to see that data as well. So, you know, even if we don't hit the target, but we're going to, I know we will, we can do it and we're going to work on this, but like booksellers see that data as well. So then buzz builds there. So it starts a kind of like momentum rolling, okay? Journalists and reviewers then get interested. Why, you know, people are interested in this book in advance. So if you do do this, you know, pre-order a copy, let me know and I'll give you a shout out and I'll give you a thanks on the show. But of course, I don't know what I'm doing, do I? Like my basic market market strategy seems to rest on the premise that the best reason to buy a book, the main motivation anyone has to buy a book is because you believe the author basically has a good heart. He's uh, a bit irritating, but seeing him struggle so earnestly unlocks some nurturing instinct in you and a desire to protect him against the pain of disappointment. So, so one thing I want to do is get some editors, agents, publicists on the show to ask professionals, hey, look, how do you promote books? What can you do to encourage people to buy them because the answer might be well nothing right I'm, I'm certainly not aware of ever having bought books because of a clever marketing campaign certainly not because an author has asked me to do so on their podcast i've always been in a shop and gone oh that looks cool i want to read that that cover looks nice that looks like it's the kind of thing i'd be interested in or people i follow have posted about it on twitter and said i love this book i know when vc lancaster was on the show last year she said she just wrote her book and you know published on Amazon and one day she found a book was getting all, all these people raving about it in the community in the niche she writes in and suddenly loads of people were buying it all of which sounds like a bit out of her control and she did actually if you listen to that episode she does talk about some of the things as a self-pubbed author that you can do in terms of um uh playing with the price point and how you offer uh the book's sort of extract the preview extract section and stuff so she does actually have some very very practical suggestions on that and i think it's an excellent excellent episode just packed full of experience stuff from someone who's done very well uh in the indie market but i just want to know like as a trad pub author like is a book uh, just a paper boat that you set down in a fast flowing river and then you have to watch powerless as it's either carried by winds fair and currents fortuitous to the ocean or sucked into the propeller of a passing narrowboat or has the author, either indie or trad, got some vestige of control over their book's fate? You know, I'd like to ask some experts and find out and, and ask some authors, you know, ask some writers what their experience has been too. Are, are, do they just never know what's going to happen and it's all down to luck or, or can you have an effect? Because it seems to me, right, tracking what my novel does over the next six months till it's, uh, it's finally released and out there in the world could be a useful and edifying case study for you to listen to. Maybe I'll ask my editor and agent on and they could talk about it from their end as well as all their other experience. I, I mean, they might prefer not to. It's a, it's a bit weird. But I'm inviting you, you in on the process. Then when it happens to you, when you get a book out, you won't be taking your flying lessons on a plane that's already in midair. You're expected to land in a sandstorm little bit of a thrilling aviation metaphor for you there. Just one of the many sophisticated literary techniques I employ in my forthcoming novel, The Ice House, out 
May 2nd, Canongate. Right. Uh, let's just draw a line under that. Thank you for indulging me and listening to me. And that it's, you know, this is how I, it's how I pay my mortgage. This is how I live. So I've got to do a bit of a hustle. Thank you. Right. Another thing I'm launching this year is my weekly writing workout. Some of you may have released, uh, have received one of them already. Again, it builds on some of the ideas behind the Couch to 80k writing bootcamp. Every Friday, I'm going to be dropping a new 10-minute creative writing exercise into people's inboxes. And all you have to do is read the text of that email, set a timer on your phone for 10 minutes, and write. That's it. Boom. They're more than just writing prompts. They're not like just a sentence and then write whatever you like it's 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 a proper focused program to train different techniques and get you used to stretching those muscles firing those neural pathways getting to you getting used to writing not just to produce but to train skills and whisper it for fun the filthiest of f words in literary circles so i've really thought about the exercises i've spent time constructing them to make them focus to make them work different things to make them interesting and also to just give them enough of an oomph that you're not going to have to be worrying about what to write because they kind of have they have some rails or some bumpers on so you're kind of led down one particular track and you can try writing in a way that you wouldn't normally. I think that's really important. If a writing exercise just get you to, you to write how you would have written if you just sat down, I think its use is limited. The, the, the real, you know, creative writing exercises to me, and I've used this metaphor before and I'm very uncomfortable with footballing metaphors, but they're kind of like cone drills, right? That, that you're, you're supposed to be doing something that you wouldn't naturally do if the cones weren't there, doing all these kind of swerves and stuff. But it's training a kind of movement that you'll then be able to use in, you know, in a lesser form or selectively later on. We're trying to train you in specific tiny moves. The link to that, to that, to, to that list that you can just sign up to for free. Again, this is just something else I'm putting out for free into the world. What's going on, Tim? Why aren't you why aren't you monetizing any of these things? I don't know because I enjoy doing them because I enjoy doing them and because I want approval from people and I'm just not a very business minded person. This is why I, I kind of like ping between the different things. I, I, I and also because I just don't think money is the most important thing in the world and I'd rather just people got access to it. Right. The links in the show notes if you want to sign up or you can just Google Tim Clare weekly writing workout and you'll get the sign up form it's free of course heaven forfend i should ever actually charge people for anything it's fine i'll subsist on your goodwill but seriously sign up it is gentler than a kick up the bum less invasive than a toe frig up the bum it's more a thumbs up at a respectful distance less yes let's say that so some first page critiques lots of cool chats with interesting people who know shit that will help you write more and better and happier and that remains the aim of this show to help you write more, to help you write better, and to help you be happier as you do it. That is my ultimate goal and my mission statement. There's going to be a whole revised, bigger, free writing course, free writing exercises by email, my new novel coming out, and you, of course, are going to help me by pre-ordering once this episode is finished because you're generous and you'd like to see me do well. My personal creative writing challenges for this year... 
Thanks for asking. Well, I'd like to finish the novel I'm working on at the moment. The working title is All Goblins Must Die. It's about an enclave of queer anarchist war refugees who faced escalating crackdowns from a zealous populist, but may just be the city's last hope. I've written over 50,000 words so far, and I am having a fucking whale of a time writing it. I, I think um, this first draft might be quite difficult to read based on feedback I've had so far, because it's all written in the voice of the protagonist, Brank, and um, she chats this weird street slang that's a mix of sort of Georgian thieves cant and Icelandic and just shit I've made up. So we'll see. But this year, I'd like to finish the first draft. I reckon it wants to be around 90,000 words all told and edit it and get it submitted to my agent. Whether it sells, that's out of my control. I just want to make it awesome and um, I'm sure I can certainly make it that. So that's one. Two, I want to put together a non-fiction book about writing, probably a workbook of short targeted exercises based on all I've learned from the various courses um, that I've been giving you to work through in your own time. Um, and I'd like to, I'd basically like to get a bit sort of like a fixed program of short exercises like the stuff I've been doing mixed with some essays, some principles of creative writing, some funny stuff, some maybe some s tools for editing that I haven't really had time to include in the audio courses. You know, a couple of sample pages that I'll edit. Probably I'll call it the Couch to 80K Writing Workout or something like that. I don't know. I accept that as a book, it might be a bit harder to find a publisher for. Writing manuals are simultaneously an incredibly niche and flooded market. But I reckon I can bring something to the table that no one else has at very high quality. And you know I love this shit. So of course I'm going to give it a go. I think the time has come. I can't hold back any longer. Three, um, I'm going to this very week put together and send out a one-page pitch for the Death of Thousand Cuts live show. I'm going to ask some specific lit literature festivals. Would you like me to come and, and do a thing? I'd really like to get out there and meet some of you. And of course, they may all turn me down. They may say, what's a podcast? And I'll say, there's lots of people listen. And they'll go, no. Uh, but, you know, at least I'm going to give them the opportunity to say no. They have to They have to think about why they say no. I'm going to ask them at least. I'll be, and also, I'm going to be doing some readings uh, when the Ice House comes out anyway. So it'd be cool to actually do something live, maybe create some stories with the audience, critique a few first pages live, maybe get a guest or two on to talk writing, all the good stuff that is just in the show. If you've got any ins with organisations or festivals, of course, uh, get in touch, give me a shout. And if you'd like me to come perform at your thing and you're prepared to pay, yeah, you can get in touch as well via the contact form on my website, timclepo.co.uk. But I'm going to be active on this one. I'm not expect I'm not doing this as a shout out for you to do that for me. I, I think I've got to be proactive on it and knock on some doors and see what folks have had to say. So I can't, I'm not saying, the reason I've put this in my aspirations rather than in, than in this is what's going to be happening this year is because that one is dependent on a bunch of gatekeepers saying, yes, Tim, we'd love to have you. So until they do that, um, that remains an aspiration, but it's something I'm going to actively pursue. Number four, aspiration the fourth, I want to get at least 40,000 words done on a new book of some variety once I've finished uh, the one I'm working on. I know that sounds ambitious. Get one novel published, finish another, start working on another. But hey, I'm excited. I've been really enjoying writing at the moment. Um, I've, I'm sure things are going to get in the way. Uh, that's what life is. But this is my aspiration. It's something I'd like to do and it's a fun challenge. Um, I've got 
one in the hopper called the Dark Lord's grandson that's been in abeyance since early last year. I, I reread some of it last week and I really dig it. It's exciting and it's got a cool magic system. So maybe I'll jump into that. I've been picking at another called The World is Very Evil about a necromancer and his manservant who get exiled to a remote island. I, I think I read out like a first page last year at some point um, in one of the writing rambles. It's got shades of Napoleon on St. Helena and it's quite slow and literary and pretentious. And I was really enjoying writing this kind of off-camera epic fantasy about small things happening at the margins of the big story. So so maybe it'll be that that I work on. Maybe I'll split the difference, 20,000 on each. Or maybe a new idea will muscle its way to the front and demand my attention. I admit I've been making notes and writing little scenelets for the conclusion to the Honours trilogy. So who knows? But I am psyched. I'm. You can probably tell I'm... You know, I'm happy. It's not a manic energy. Don't worry about me. But you can. I hope you can feel it, right? I, I didn't feel like this last year. At the beginning of last year, I felt washed out and, and fraudulent. And some of that comes from the mental illness that I manage. But I also feel like doing this podcast has been such an education. Years and years of experience. I've been able to nosily harvest from pros and absorb. And against every expectation, it's actually helped. It's actually helped. So my sincerest wish for you this year is you get a bit of a contact buzz off me that rather than coming off as irritatingly chipper. And I realise, you know, I've told you all this. You may not share my enthusiasm for all this stuff, and that's absolutely fine. But, you know, I hope I can help you cultivate uh, a great joy in your writing for the adventure of it, not in expectation of any massive payoff at the end. Because I want to be in, I want to be honest with you about the state of the industry at the moment and what life is actually like for a writer. But we have got some control about bits of the process and ways that we can make sure that we maximise how much joy we get out of them. I, I, I want to write these stories because I want to find out what happens. And that's exciting to me and really liberating. Right, so those are my goals. I hope they haven't completely alienated you and they may have even been useful or exciting or they've got you thinking about your own. What are your goals for 2019 writing-wise? do get in touch and let me know. I'm on Tim Clare at Tim Clare Poet. I've got my Facebook page. Again, it's just facebook.com forward slash Tim Clare Poet. There's my website, timclarepoet.co.uk. You know, there was... <laughs> it's that Tim Clare Poet thing. I, I guess, you know, I guess I just didn't foresee my return to fiction, eh? My return to prose. But um, it certainly makes people think I'm gives me an air of the poet about me don't you think so there's a link on my website anyway where you can email me you can sign up to my weekly lessons at tim Clare's weekly writing workout and if that's not enough you can also drop me a line and indeed a couple of quid to keep the lights on and the hosting paid for and the zoom h4n recording here at claire towers over at my coffee page that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim Clare. links to all of those in the show notes. There's, there are frankly more avenues to intertwine our lives and get into dialogue with your humble guide and friend and mentor than is quite decent or healthy. But here we are. It's the 21st century. Thank you for listening in. This episode was kind of like the, the, the tavern notice board with quests pinned to it, interspersed with the tavern drunk. 
cornering you and buttonholing you about what he thinks about the world. If this is your first time listening, please be assured most episodes are much more down to business than this and probably quite a bit shorter, but it's the beginning of the season. I wanted to check in, let you know the direction I'm planning on taking things before we plunge into the unknown. So imagine this is just like the AGM before we get down to business. Also, I just like saying hi. I just like talking to you. I know... I know it's a kind of one-sided dialogue, but then you get to talk back to me so much over email and stuff, and I really like that as well. So, hi. I hope I haven't been too annoying this episode. I, I sort of have a lingering suspicion I have been, um, but thanks. I have nothing more to say to you, except have a happy, healthy, worry-free week. And if it feels good to sit down for a minute and write a couple of lines about whatever your brain happens to throw up, after, of course, pre-ordering the Ice House, you honour that impulse in you. We stand on the razor's edge of time, my friend, and anything could happen next. Bye-bye.